0: What if this was a terrible idea that I regret forever? What if I can't make enough money doing this to support myself, and I just end up a total failure? I've wanted to be my own boss for the longest time, but if I faceplant doing this, I think I'll be too scared to try anything ever again. Nicole had decided to resign from her current job as a schoolteacher and work as a private tutor. She had experience teaching a variety of subjects and grade levels. She had an impressive track record of student success. She could teach anything, from three foreign languages to biochemistry. What she didn't have right now, though, was confidence. She was in a near panic at the impending start of the new school year. It was the first time she wouldn't be heading back into a school classroom. She had signed up enough tutoring clients to keep her busy for the first three months. But she worried incessantly about how things would pan out after that. Would they all continue tutoring long term? Would it be weird getting paid by parents instead of taking home a regular salary? If somebody didn't pay the bill, then what? Would she have to take them to court or hire a lawyer? What if she broke her leg and she couldn't drive for three months? She wouldn't be able to get to work. Her mind played out worst-case scenarios like a tragic film. And the last three nights, Nicole had found herself in the kitchen after dinner, eating slice after slice of bread with butter and sugar. Nicole was in a real rough patch psychologically, and this type of lingering, uncomfortable situation is a common one which triggers people to binge eat. Today, we'll talk about our psychological well-being, how we can sense when it's threatened, and respond in a way that avoids emotionally eating or binge eating. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary-Claire Brescia. In this episode, I'm going to teach you some mindset skills, since our strength between the ears is crucial to stopping binge eating and emotional eating. We're going to learn in the next couple episodes about self-monitoring and self-soothing, a pair of strategies which support our mental health, much like the way exercise improves our physical fitness. First, let's look at what happens if we don't have these abilities well-practiced and strong. This explains why I think it's so important to teach my clients this skill. You might discover that your feelings of distress seem to build up silently and then spill over or burst out of you. This can take the form of sudden crying, feeling like you're having a meltdown or are about to, or in many cases, Compulsively eating excess amounts of food. You might also feel like you have lingering worries or distresses that don't seem to improve or go away with time, so the same issues trigger you on a regular basis into binge eating or overeating. Third, a sign that this skill will really help you is that you find when you're upset or laden with a problem, you feel an increasingly desperate desire for somebody. To step in and save you. Can I get a a white knight on a horse over here, please? A lifeguard? Anybody? By learning how to self-monitor and self-soothe, we can spare ourselves the painful experience of melting down. We can move past the frustrating loop of binge eating repeatedly in response to the same problematic issue in our life. And we can feel okay with the idea that in reality, no one is going to show up and save us. It feels really great, too, to realize this damsel in distress can help herself out. So what exactly are we checking when we self-monitor our psychological well-being? Just about all of my clients are used to monitoring their weight, their food intake, or the measurements of their bodies. They're so ingrained to monitoring these changes, But when it comes to recovery from binge eating or emotional eating, the psychological self-monitoring is what people most need to learn. To teach this to my clients, I provide them with a list of five basic psychological needs. For optimal well-being, we like to feel safe, capable or competent, autonomous, valuable, and a sense of belonging. I want to clarify that these are not the five basic psychological needs because different theories exist and many experts have proposed various lists. I came up with my list of five by taking three elements from self-determination theory and adding in a couple elements I wanted to include from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I chose these five because they've been applicable to my clients over the years. Once again, my list is safety, competency slash capability, autonomy, value, and a sense of belonging. If you think of times when you ranked high on each of these things, you probably were feeling quite good. Your level of well-being was high, your level of resilience was high, and your level of distress was low. But of course, life deals out blows to these all the time. We've all felt threats to our safety with COVID, with earthquakes, fires, and with personal health scares. Our senses of capability and competence can be shaken when we make a mistake or fall short of our expectations. Our sense of autonomy or self-directed freedom can shrink when we feel like we have burdensome responsibilities or when our freedom feels restricted by an overbearing authority like our boss, the government, or the condo board. Our sense of personal value is synonymous with self-esteem. Our sense of being a valuable person can fall when we face criticism, put-downs, when we're disrespected by ourselves or others, or when we're simply ignored and treated like we're unimportant. Lastly, our sense of belonging can fall when it seems like our problems Our joys and our values differ from the people around us. When these psychological needs are threatened, we get upset. We feel unsettled, unwell, and prone to do something to try and feel better. All too often, that something is eating. If you think about Nicole's situation, she's leaving one job teaching to go out on her own as a private tutor. And you can see she's feeling several types of threat to her psychological needs she doesn't feel safe and secure because she worries that more than three months out she might not be able to bring in enough income since this is her first time running her own business she has doubts about her capability to manage the finances the marketing and the billing nicole also signed up students to tutor but she hasn't yet begun to see the fruits of her labor, like the students' grades going up, or happy parents, or clear improvement as a result of her influence. And until she gets to witness these things, she might feel unsure of her personal and professional value, like she still has to prove herself. Lastly, her sense of belonging to a group of colleagues is gone. She's left one group but not yet formed a new group. And she's working so hard that she isn't really socializing at all. This lack of connection can produce a sense of loneliness and isolation. The one area Nicole doesn't feel threatened, thankfully, is autonomy. This transition is giving her complete freedom to steer her own ship and not be controlled by anyone. But in the face of all the other threats to her psychological needs, She's not feeling incredibly comforted by that liberty. She's doing her best to escape all of this distress with compulsively eating at night. But that's not the only option, of course. Nicole is in a uniquely distressing situation, which is threatening four out of five psychological needs, but often my clients find a shortage of one or two causes enough discomfort to spark unnecessary eating. But if we catch these threats early enough, we can prevent that from happening and start feeling better sooner. How we catch things early is through self-monitoring. The exercise I recommend for building this skill takes seven days, and I always do it right alongside my clients. Each day, we score ourselves from one to five on how we feel in each area. When we're high, A four or a five, we notice what gave us that feeling. And when we feel low, a one or a two, we also practice noticing what gave us that feeling. As people learn how to self-monitor these five psychological needs and pay attention to them on a daily basis, dramatically positive things start to happen. First, since you've likely never paid such close attention to these factors, you'll probably learn a lot about yourself right from the start. Second, noticing how these five needs can fluctuate in a very short time span can be revealing and guide us in how to take better care of our mental health. Third, by tuning in daily, you can notice when one of your particular needs isn't being met and you can work toward reducing that distress before it overwhelms you Or results in self harming behavior like binge eating. And fourth, but possibly the most important, you can begin to see that violation or threatening of your basic psychological needs is what's going on behind much or all of your distress. And that means it's not you being too sensitive, too anxious, or insecure. In fact, these sorts of there's something wrong with you explanations invalidate a person's experience. This causes harm to self-esteem. Sometimes other people say these things to us, you're being too sensitive. Or we say them to ourselves, oh, I'm being too sensitive. But either way, equal hurt. I believe it's far more helpful to look at things from a needs-being-met perspective which leads more naturally toward finding solutions. After all, if we have a need that's not being met, the natural question is, how can I meet that need? What needs to change? I have noticed through practicing this exercise that I feel personally less valuable when I don't work out, especially if it's for a length of time due to an injury. When I write down a 1 or a 2 next to my feelings of personal value, I immediately gravitate toward, hmm, what ways am I valuable other than my athletic performance? So if you want to do this exercise at home, which I highly encourage, write down somewhere the following, safety, competency, autonomy, personal value, sense of belonging. Then check in with yourself once a day, at any time, and record how you presently feel about each of these needs being met. I use a 1 to 5 scale, but you could use 1 to 10 or any other scale you choose. Some of my clients have even started putting decimals, so (laughs) they get very fine in their grading. If you notice that you're logging a particularly high or low number for a given moment, note down what might be contributing to that. Did something boost you up? Or did something tear you down? I guarantee you will learn something. The idea isn't to self-monitor in writing forever, just to write things down for the first stage. After some practice, it becomes more natural to have a constant awareness of your emotional and psychological state as you go through your life, and you'll notice when something feels a bit off. Next week, I'll continue talking about these five psychological needs, and I'll share some specific actions to take for each of those needs when it's not being fully met. Once you have proven action steps you know you can rely on, you will turn less to food. I'm Georgie Fear, and I look forward to seeing you next week.